Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Hey, this is the final week of our series where we've been reflecting on Romans chapter 8 in this time, hoping that this pivotal path pivotal chapter in Romans will help provide us not only with some clarity, uh, but also with just with some encouragement as we all walk through this time of pandemic together. And and actually what we're doing is we're kind of working our way backwards through Romans chapter eight. So we began with 828, this Paul's kind of crescendo statement where he declares that God works in the midst of all things with you for the good. And so in that first week of the series, if you remember way back, we learned that sovereignty is not about control, but rather sovereignty is about the ability of God to take the raw material of our lives and then work at it so that it can bring about new creation. And what great news that is for us, that in all of the ups and downs of life, whether seasons of intense struggle or seasons of celebration, God can bring all that raw material of our lives and bring about new creation. In the second week, we explored the nature of Christian hope. And we learned that Christian hope is is not just optimism, it's not positive thinking, but rather Christian hope is rooted in resurrection. And resurrection is the ability of God to set things on a new course, that that which seemed to be dead is then given new life for the redemptive purposes of God in our lives and in the world. And so resurrection modeled after the real physical bodily resurrection of Jesus in history shows us the ability of God to take that which seemed to be dead and set it on a new course, that resurrection is God intersecting human history Uh, when everything appears to be headed toward death. And then next we learned that uh, about kind of the contrast that Paul is beginning to make in uh, in Romans chapter eight. And first we looked at uh, the difference between the body of death and then the spirit of life. We looked at this reality that our bodies are subject to death because of sin, but the spirit of life brings life inside of us or the spirit inside of us brings life. And that this has opened up a new way of life for us that that Jesus kind of had a shorthand way of talking about it called the kingdom of God, the ways of Jesus, the ways of of, uh, peace and forgiveness and mercy and healing, these things that Jesus was all about in his message and in his ministry. Jesus says this way of life has been opened up to us. And we talked about that as, as kind of we were all born into this one way highway, but now through the spirit of life that lives inside of us, a new lane of the highway has been opened up. And then last week we looked at the flesh and the spirit. Uh, we kind of learned that these are, uh, a helpful way of thinking about these are, are, these are mindsets toward God that determine whether we will live in ways that lead to death or whether we'll live in ways that lead to life and to peace. We looked how the flesh is really summarized in the way of, of selfishness. Uh, maybe this, this posture toward God, toward the world, toward others that says, you know what, I don't need you. That everything that I need in my life is available purely from me. And we kind of talked about how that's a little bit like trying to fill up a car with gas by pulling up to the gas pump, but, but instead of connecting to the external source of the gas pump, pulling out a, a, a hose from our trunk and then connecting it into the gas inlet and how that really wouldn't work, right? You can't use your own car to fill your car with gas. 
But in contrast to that, then, the, the life of the Spirit is, is one in which we are given over to self-giving love or self-sacrificial love. And that is, that is loving others even when it costs us something. That even when it costs us something, that it comes at personal cost to us. And, so, uh, and then we, we ended by learning that in order to live according to the Spirit, we must have humility before God. We must be willing to listen to others. And we must practice personal repentance. This week, we want to come to the end of our series, but which is actually the beginning of Paul's comments and remarks in, in Romans chapter 8. So I want to read for us this morning, Romans chapter 8, the first four verses. I'll be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. It says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what God... For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and to deal with sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, as is true, like as we kind of walk through Romans chapter 8, we've learned this over the last several weeks. We need to have definition of terms. We kind of need to know what Paul is talking about. And so the first question that comes is he's clearly uh, beginning with the law of the spirit and life and the law of sin and death. What are these laws that he's talking about? And if actually, if you'll remember back to the first week of the series, we learned that, that sin, as, as it's used in scripture, particularly in Romans chapter 8, Sin is not just referring to the individual acts of sin, but rather sin is referring to uh, this power or this principle that is at work in our lives. And so as we learned that in our first week of the series, this is actually where that, that concept of sin as a principle or power is introduced by Paul. And he says, so the law of sin, in other words, the law of sin is a way of talking about this power of sin in our lives. And we actually get a clue from that he's using sin in this way if we look back to Romans chapter 7. There, Paul says, and I'm reading here from Romans chapter 7, verses 22 through 24, uh, this time using the common English Bible. He says, you know, I gladly agree with the law on the inside, but I see a different law at work in my body. And just that, in that one sentence, there's important, important things to note. When he says, I agree with the law on the inside, the L in law is capitalized. But then when he says, but I see a different law at work in my body, the L in that law is lowercase. Okay? He goes on to say, it wages a war against the law of sin that is in my body, so I'm a miserable human being. Who will deliver me from this dead corpse? <laughs> That's pretty honest, right? And so, Paul, in this passage, he says, I agree with the law of God, capital L, that is the Mosaic law, the law, the rules of God, or the ways of God that had been handed down to him and to Moses from the mountain. He says all those kind of laws of purity, the Ten Commandments, I'm on board with all of that. I agree with the law in my mind, but I notice there is another law, that is, there's another principle, there's another power that is at work in my body. And so he admits to that tension, and he says, this tension is making me miserable. <laughs> Isn't it good news then that the, the answer to the tension in Romans chapter 7 is given to us in Romans chapter 8? 
If we were to identify with the Romans chapter 7 Paul in our own context, we might say this. I agree with the ways of Jesus that are outlined in the kingdom of God. In my mind. But I find that there is another power at work in my life that keeps me from it. Like the ways of Jesus, I'm on board. And, and, and like my mind and my heart all want to go in that direction. And yet I find that there's this other principle, this other power at work that keeps me from it. You see, what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to paint a picture of sin and the power of sin, the principle of sin. And he's trying to give us a hint as to the full potential of this thing called sin. And that is, it is possible that you will be enslaved to it. You can be enslaved to sin. And in this way, sin is personified as a master in Romans chapter 8. Sin is personified as a master in Romans chapter 8. And as I was thinking about this, my mind was drawn again to the Lord of the Rings. Um, you, those of you that have kind of been following us over the, over the last few weeks know that I'm trying to read the Lord of the Rings for the first time in order to keep up with my 11-year-old daughter who is now 12 today. Uh, that's right. Woo! <laughs> but read the Lord of the Rings when she was 10. So I'm way behind, uh, but trying to keep up with her. And so I'm reading the Lord of the Rings. And in, here's what I've noticed. In this, in this trilogy of books, and also the films as well, uh, the ring represents an evil power that is capable of enslaving people. And actually, the film kind of sets this, the, the film trilogy sets all of this up with this opening uh, montage. It's not how the books open, but the, but the movies need to kind of set the groundwork. And so it begins with this. It begins with scenes of the armies of Middle-earth at war against the Dark Lord Sauron, who is the maker of the ring, when Isildur, who is the king of men, defeats Sauron, cuts the ring off of his finger so that he can now take it into his possession. So now Isildur, the king of men, has the ring in his possession. But after holding the ring, it begins to darken his heart and take control over him. So that when it comes time to defeat the ring in the fires of Mount Doom, the only place that the ring can be defeated, Isildur refuses to destroy it. Because it has already begun to influence its power over him. And what this opening scene does is it sets up this personification of the ring that is present throughout the films and the books. That this ring represents power capable of enslaving people to the ways of evil. Now, if you follow the story, and spoiler alert, you know, it's been out a little while. The books have, it's like since the 40s. The movies have been out about 20 years. So if you're like, I was going to watch it tonight, I don't believe you, right? So spoiler alert. Uh, if you follow the story, you discover that the ring influences any of those who bear it or who hold it. Uh, although hobbits uh, have an uncanny resistance to its power. In order for the ring to be destroyed and its power lost, it must be thrown into the fires of Mount Doom, the very place where it was forged. And I, I want you to key in on this idea. That is that the ring of power must be absorbed into something that has power great enough to create. The ring was forged out of the fires of Mount Doom. It must go there in order to be destroyed, which is to say the power of the ring must be absorbed into something that has the power to create. And so for Paul, what he's doing is he's kind of setting up uh, this idea that, that sin 
has this very real kind of influence over our lives. That sin is not just defined by the little sinful acts that we do, but sin is largely defined by the principle or power that is, work, is, that is at work in our lives. Are you with me? And then Paul says, and he gives us this great truth in Romans chapter 8. He says, for God has done what the law, that is the, the rules and the, uh, the guidelines and the outlines about how you're supposed to live, this, this kind of external work, God has done what the law could not do by sending his own son to deal with sin. That's verse 3. And so he says, essentially, God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus in order that the power of sin or the principle of sin might be defeated in our lives. Here is the good news of the gospel and where we often fall short. There is on one hand forgiveness and mercy available to us for the little acts of sin or the big acts of sin that we could participate in and that we are guilty of. There is forgiveness and mercy available to us in Christ because of those things. But the gospel is also then that there is available to us the spirit of God to defeat the reign of sin in our lives. Now, does that mean that we always live perfectly? Absolutely not. But there is available to us a power that because of the spirit of life so that we won't live under the reign or power of sin any longer. And so God condemned sin in the flesh in order to break the power of sin in our lives. Therefore, we no longer stand condemned under the power of sin. And so just as the power, I want you to catch this, just as the power of the ring had to be exhausted in the fires of Mount Doom, so sin entered into the life and body of Jesus and there its power was exhausted. Amen. You see, is the cross primarily about this, uh, this kind of cosmic uh, transaction between us and God where God is no longer angry with us? Is that what the cross is about? I don't think so. You see, the ways in which the scripture, the New Testament, tend to frame the cross is not that God worked out a, a cosmic transaction on our behalf, but that God has acted on our behalf, for our behalf, in order that sin might be defeated that the power and the principle of sin might be defeated. And so here, here's the reality. Where the violence put upon the body of Christ, in order for violence to, to be maintained, it needs a violent response, a cycle of violence. That cycle is broken through the power of forgiveness. Uh, uh, the Messiah willing to suffer and then not act in vengeance, but respond with forgiveness. And so we find that all of this sin was placed upon, was put upon Jesus and its power then absorbed and then defeated through the power of forgiveness and one unwilling to retaliate. And so Paul then says, since sin has been condemned in Christ, then we have this reality. There is no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ where we once lived under a power too strong for any of us to defeat on our own, thanks be to God that power has been defeated and we now are no longer condemned. Remember, I began the service with, I greet you in the name of the rescuing God who has had this history of rescuing his people, but now by Christ and through the Spirit offers us rescue from sin and death, or as Paul puts it, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Which is to say, there is no doubt about God's verdict about you. You see, some of the things that I see people struggle with as a pastor is they live with unbelievable guilt in their lives. Thinking that they have, um, that they have failed God in irredeemable ways. And it's kind of scary, right? This idea of God, this, huge, this cosmic God. And then to, to let him down can be really, really difficult. And so I've seen people kind of live with this, this guilt of, of being condemned. But Paul says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is now no condemnation in Christ. That when we place our faith in Christ, that, that power of sin is broken, that principle of sin is broken, the victory has been won. Now we need to work that out, right? We need to kind of find ways and spiritual disciplines and prayer and connection with God to begin to work out the reality that is already true in our lives, to begin living according to the new creation that has become true of us and in us. We have all these kind of things to do and to work out and to participate in, and it's a lifelong process, but the beauty of the gospel is there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and so God's verdict about you is clear. He is for you and he loves you. And then this passage closes with this. It closes with, there is then, the, this is uh, so that, right? So he kind of lays out this theological foundation and then he says, so that, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You see, God had set up a law, but the law was powerless to truly change us. And so, what, so God did what the law could not do by sending his son in the likeness of human flesh to take on flesh. So that the just requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. Which is to say, the law couldn't change us, but after being changed, we are then freed into new allegiances aligned with Christ. Now again, for us, we, 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 we kind of hinge our theology on the full revelation of God in Christ. And so now we say the kingdom of God, the ways of Jesus, the forgiveness and the mercy and the love and the peace of Christ, is those ways of life are now opened up to us. A new allegiance has been offered to us. Because now, because of the Spirit in us, and because now we do not stand in condemnation, the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. This is good news. But it is also something that we must cultivate. That these truths, these realities of the gospel must be cultivated in our lives. And I think sometimes... We've kind of made the mistake of saying this was done uh, for me and on my behalf and in Christ and that is good and that is right and that is true, but then we don't take on the responsibility of working this out. Paul says we ought to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which is a way of saying that there's this cultivation, there's this participation that is ours to do. And I would say that some of the primary ways that these things are formulated and, and these truths are made 
realities in our lives is through worship, is through prayer, through spiritual disciplines, through habits. You know, one of the ways in, that we gather, one of the reasons that we gather around the Lord's table each and every week at Emmaus Road is because we, we believe that there's kind of formative strength and power to table practice. That is particularly in a world so divided as our own, that being able to say, regardless of your political persuasion or your race or your economic status or all these other things that might divide us, we can confess Jesus Christ is Lord and gather around the same table together. And that unity, that ability to kind of come together each Sunday and erase those lines is formative in our lives and is, is presenting to us a habit that makes us less likely to try and draw all those same lines when we participate in the world. And so these, there's kind of these formative habits for us. And so I encourage you today, my encouragement for you today and this week is to begin to think about right now in your lives, what are some habits, some ways, some practices that you can begin to cultivate that which is already true about you, which is the spirit of life lives in you and you do not stand condemned, but rather the power and principle of sin has been defeated in your life through the power of the cross and the resurrection. Now again, this is not the same as saying sin will never be a struggle or you'll never sin again. Those old theologies need to die. <laughs> but rather we do need to say and maintain that there is available to us not just forgiveness, but also a cleansing work of the Spirit in our lives. Amen? Amen. Amen.